This is an Ion Annapolis bonus podcast. Joining us on the phone today is Chris Phipps. Again, he's joining us on the phone. He is the director of public works for Anne Arundel County. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to give us a call and uh, chat about what's up with public works. How are you? I'm doing well, John. Thanks for reaching out. Um, it's always good to uh, touch base with you and, and just share what we're doing and, and maybe some some things that, you know, the public could help us to help you know do our job better. Well, I know the last time that we talked, it was about you guys being sort of like the silent heroes of the world, making sure that everything that we rely on but never notice keeps humming along. You know, water keeps coming out of the taps. The cars are able to roll on roads. Bridges stay bridges and not fall down. And I'm glad to see that uh, you guys have been doing a pretty good job since then. I haven't heard of any bridge collapse or road collapses or faucets running dry so that's a that's always a good thing but we wanted to check in because we're headed into a busy time of the year for you i'm sure with winter coming down we've uh potentially with snow and ice and everything else and certainly the holidays is a big area as well and uh, you know i expect that many of your people unfortunately i guess to them will be working over the holidays and unable to spend it with family because you know, all the stuff that we take for granted still needs to hum along, whether it's, you know, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah or Christmas, right? Yeah. All this infrastructure, it, it doesn't sleep. It requires constant care and attention. Somebody's got to be maintaining the water systems and treating the water and treating the wastewater. It, it doesn't take a break. Yeah, it's a challenge. And, you know, at the same time, our employees like to enjoy the holidays as much as anyone else. So, so we try to honor what we can, um, but at the same time, keeping that 24-7 operation around the clock. Well, that's true. I think that anybody that probably works for you understands that that's a necessary evil. And, you know, if you can get off and spend time with your family, that's great. If not, then, well, that's sort of goes with the territory. But, you know, I was talking to one of your guys actually on the side of the road the other day, and we were talking about the military bowl, which is going to be here in Annapolis at the end of December. And I mentioned that it was so, so cool because it was always when the Budweiser Clydesdales unload, it always seems for the last five years, anyhow, it's always a very foggy morning down in Annapolis. And it was funny because he mumbled something about hating fog. And I'm like, what was it? And he said, oh, yeah, no, that's like the nemesis of public works. And, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> OK, I've never I've, ne- I've never heard of this. And he, he explained a little bit to me and it made some sense. But what can you tell us about fog? I mean, who would have thought that, you know, fog the weather yeah, yeah. was this, a thing. We are the Bay region, but not San Francisco Bay, right? So <laughs> right. when you think of fog, you think of San Francisco. But the fog we deal with, that I'm sure that individual is talking about or complaining about, is what we call fats, oils, and grease fog. And and what that is, is a byproduct of a lot of cooking and especially deep frying, you know, turkeys, roasting, you know, all the grease and oils and fats. Uh, butter that basically comes off our cooking and is often not purposely. I think it's just, you know, people aren't necessarily thinking, but it goes right down the drain. And and then what will happen is it coalesces and can harden and form and create blockages in our system, in our wastewater collection pipes as it goes downstream. So it's, a, it's, it's very analogous, if you think about it, like cholesterol in your, uh, in your arteries. Our pipes are your arteries. And the the grease and the fog, uh, or fats, oils, and greases, are the cholesterol that you know we we uh, ingest, and then it hardens and 
can close the arteries. And, and you know, for us, the it's two challenges. One is if it's not addressed, it'll lead to blockages, which then leads to overflows. Because the water is going to has to go downstream, uh, the wastewater, and if it's blocked, it's going to find the exit point. Which it's going to go upstream, upstream, which is your drain or your toilet or your could, bathtub. Could be your basement. Yeah, wherever it comes out, the, the lowest point um, is where it's going to come out. So that's the challenge there. But the other challenge is it's got to be removed. So if we're generating it and it's in the pipes, it's going to eventually go downstream. And what we have are sewer pumping stations what we call wet wells in those pump stations where the gravity mains discharge and the fog accumulates in those wet wells. And we have to get it out there because um, it'll clog the pumps if we don't. And again, if we, if, if that happens, got a clogged pump, the wet well and the pump station will back up and overflow. And the other thing that what, what we find is fog, it's, it's sort of an accretion of stuff, you know, that accretes over time and it will then trap some of the other nuisances that find their way into our wastewater system, which are rags or what is commonly referred to as wipes, these disposable, flushable wipes. Yeah, you can flush them down the toilet, but we can't treat them. So what happens is they will coalesce along with the accreting fog and create an even bigger problem that needs to be dealt with because, again, our pumps cannot process our treatment plants cannot process those wipes that are such a nuisance, and they just contribute to the whole fog issue. It's a sort of a double whammy. Yeah, I guess it's taking with. it from a, a, a slimy, gooey goop and making it almost a solid when you add something else into it. it yeah, it, it does. And um, we clean our sewers on a routine basis. We do about a million feet a year where we jet wash them with high-pressure water and to, to clean them out and flush them. And we push everything down again to the pump stations where we then have to remove the material that's has coalesced and um, consolidated. But that's what happens. And so we're pushing those things down the pipes to a point where we can get to them and remove them. And, and that's not a pleasant job. If anyone um, has ever seen a pump station, a wastewater pump station, has ever looked in the wet well, has ever had to climb into a wet well, think of uh, Mike Rowe, I think, used to do oh. a, a show. Yeah, Dirty Job. Yeah. And, um, and I think he did a, a show on that. If you saw that, I, I think that's all it would take is one viewing, and, and you would think twice about what you're discharging or flushing down the toilet, dumping down the drain, because someone physically has to remove that material eventually. Now I'm curious. Do you guys have a wet well down on the Edgewood Road plant? Yeah, they all have. Every pumping station has a wet well. And then at the treatment plant, that's actually the treatment plant where all the pump stations then pump to that. It has what we call a headworks facility where everything comes in, and it goes through um, coarse screens, like a screen screening yeah. mechanism, and then fine screens, and then and then it goes through the treatment process. So again, those screens they capture everything that wasn't captured at the pump station that still makes its way down to the treatment plant. Those screens will intercept it, and they too have to be cleaned on on a very regular basis, um, too often, quite frankly, and. If we don't, then we're fouling up the treatment process, and which we just cannot afford to do because of the, 
you know, the, the regulations we have to meet for the bay, total maximum daily load, nutrient reductions. And we, and we don't want to make anybody go down into that stuff and clean it up. That's gross. <laughs> it is absolutely. I mean, you do it one time and, and you would have second thoughts about what you're putting down the, uh, down the drain. How, how can we help? How do we prevent that? How do we get rid of our fats and grease? Okay, I mean, I know I'm going to cook, cook the turkey and in the bottom of that pan after, you know, we're done with the carcass and stuff like that is loaded with, you know, the turkey drippings and the, the grease and everything else. How do we get rid of that? Yeah, it's 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 like a lot of things, you know, where source control, um, treating it at the source is the best way of doing this. And that would be pouring that grease while it's still in a liquid form into some kind of a metal container or a glass and let it sit and it will harden. And then then you can dispose of it in the in your trash in, in the solid form. Because what will happen if you don't do that, you put it down the drain, exactly what's happening in that jar as you watch it harden is what's going to happen in the pipes and the pumping stations if oh. left down the drain. You just gave me a flashback to my youth. And I remember my mom always, we had, we had dogs, so she would take, save the uh, dog food cans after the dogs, you know, she fed the dogs. And we'd use it to put bacon grease into it and then ultimately throw that out. Now I, now that makes sense as to why she did that. I'm not sure that I ever knew why that little peculiar habit was part of my life. Yeah. Some of the old tricks of the trade um, come in handy, you know, and, uh, and I think, you know, maybe back then, if you're on a septic system, you, you have a real vested interest to ensure that you're, you know, doing this. So. You're not just flushing it down the drain and oh, let the let the county worry about it. It's it's your own personal responsibility, and um, and I and I think that there needs to be a lot of education for people on septic systems too to uh, properly maintain what they're putting down the drain. And I think it probably only takes a situation or two where they have to call the septic hauler out and they find out, oh yeah, your pipes are clogged with fat, soil, and grease, and and they learn their lesson quick and will not repeat it. So. I know that you guys have a responsibility of, for the pipes uh, as far as repairing them, clearing them, and stuff like that if it's out in the road. I mean, I guess it's past the trap in the front yard of a, of a house right. or something like that. But, I mean, this can certainly, you know, depending on where the blockage is, this can be the homeowner's problem as well. Absolutely. And and the pipes in the homeowner's house is smaller than the pipes in our network, so it could be much more easily clogged, subject to clogging. And that can be an expensive ordeal, you know, bringing in a plumber on, thanks, to, on, on Thanksgiving or you know, yeah, Christmas, right. Christmas morning. Yeah, if you're lucky getting one on those uh, peak days. It makes perfect sense. So the, the secret there is to whatever, you know, the fats, oils and liquids that are generated from your cooking, uh, bottle, bottle them or can them up and let them solidify. And, and, and that gets just tossed out into the regular trash, right? It just goes in the regular trash, yeah. I, I think, you know, you could probably find some creative ways of reusing it somehow. I've heard maybe bird feeders or something that, that sometimes they'll they'll use that, believe it or not. That's up to everyone's individual preference, but just keep it out of the drains as far as uh, as I'm concerned. I mean, because we're, we're processing, you know, we collect about 14, over 1,400 tons of this material every year. And what we do is when we get it out of the wet wells, we take it to a, a separator. We mix a little bit of sawdust with it to get it into a drier content, along with the rags and disposable wipes. It's about almost 1,500 tons, and we take it to the landfill on, on basically a daily basis. We're doing about five tons a day trucking to the landfill oh my God. of this material. 
Yeah. Some of the numbers that you've thrown out here, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I forget how many feet are in a mile, but I mean, a million feet a year of sewer clean, I think that's like 304 miles. 1,400 yeah. tons of goop? Yeah, on an annual basis. Costs us to remove it. You know, got workers, sure. employees that are in there have to do this. I mean, it's. I have dedicated employees who are doing this along with the hauler trucks they have. The vector, We have to vector it out with these big... Um, what we call vector trucks that, that basically create a vacuum and suck it out, put it into these five-ton containers and haul it to the landfill, and then uh, all time, well to our separator, then then back onto a hauler to the landfill, and we pay the tipping fee because um, you know the landfill just like utilities, water, wastewater is an enterprise fund. It has to be self-supporting yeah. with the fees generated, and the landfill or waste management is the same way. So um, county services don't get a break at the landfill because um, it's a it's an enterprise fund. So we all we're all paying for it. You know, at the end of the day, we all everybody's utility rate is paying for this processing of nearly fifteen hundred tons of fat soil and grease and rags and wipes. How do, how do we how do we as a county compare to other counties as far as uh, you'll you'll call it fog? I'll call it goop, but. You know, as far I mean, our other counties, I'm sure everybody across the world has the same problem. But I mean, are, are, do we do better just because we're tend? I, I like to think we're a little bit more environmentally friendly and we understand the, the issues surrounding the bay and everything else than others. Do you know? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know about the, the sort of the personal habits of like what, you know, on average, how much is generated per household in Anne Arundel versus, say, Baltimore County. But what I can say is that. We have, because of the, the nature of the development in Anne Arundel County and historically how it developed from the shoreline in and all of the peninsulas we have, we have 270 sewer pumping stations, which is more, far more than you could combine Prince George's County, Montgomery County, Baltimore County, and Baltimore City, and Howard County. We have more than all of those combined. Oh, wow. And it's because of the number of peninsulas we have. So every community almost has, in many cases, multiple pump stations. So that's a blessing and a curse. Having that many pump stations is a maintenance challenge. But what it does is those are our kind of interceptors. So when that fog and that debris gets to those wet wells, that we intercept them, we can clean it out there, and it's not making its way slowly, marching its way down to the treatment plant and accumulating like a like a snowball, if you will. If you envision a snowball going down a hill, that's what this fog will do. If you're just going downstream in a gravity pipe that's going a long way, and then what will happen is it becomes what they you've probably heard the term fatberg. It becomes a huge mass of this material because it hasn't been removed. We're in there removing. We do 25 pump stations a month is what we're maintaining in terms of cleaning out. Um, so we're in there frequently cleaning these out. So it never gets to that point where it has accumulated itself in such a, a size that what they refer to as a fatberg, that then once it's that large, you know, you got to get in there with mechanical equipment and, and basically almost like a, uh, I guess like a kidney stone or something. You yeah, yeah, blast you're, you're doing, doing surgery it, yeah. at that point. Yeah, you got to blast it apart. And, and so you'll see that in sort of the larger like Baltimore City, um, you know, even you've probably seen it with uh, London, New York City, these large municipalities that have gravity pipes that are big 
that don't have as many sewer pump stations like we have, and it just allows this accumulation, like I say, of fatberg that just kind of rolls down the the pipe and gets larger and larger. And finally um, it just blocks it up. Yeah. So it's, like I say, having so many pump stations, it's a blessing and a curse. So our issues, they just don't rise to that level, but it's constant maintenance. It requires that we're doing constant maintenance We to so as not to allow our pumps to get clogged. Sure, sure. As we're heading into the holiday season, Chris, I mean, how can we help you guys do your job better? I mean, I know, you know, we you've got Christmas tree recycling. I mean, I know that the general thing is cut your tree in half and put it out at the curb with your regular yard waste. But, I mean, are there any other special things that we need to know? I mean, is, is holiday wrapping, is that recyclable? Is, you know, are there anything that we need to be considerate of as we move through the holidays? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the biggest challenge is the packing material. You know, cardboard is now the, the market for that. Recyclables has um, gone back up. So it's it's actually helps to shave our costs because we get some revenue on that. And, uh, you know, paper, obviously, we, we continue to accept as recyclable. What we don't are those sort of those peanuts or those inflatable, um, the bubble wrap, that, so, that sort of thing. That is continues to be an issue for us and and what we've had to do if 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 our curbside collection contractor encounters bubble wrap or these styrofoam peanuts or whatever in the recycle bin they will not collect it and they will leave it behind and put a note on it and i know that that seems drastic but we have to because our recycling contract where we take it to they won't accept it and um now we're just creating a log jam uh, and we have to pay if, if if there's a certain amount of contamination they call it that we're allowed contractually to have because you know nobody's perfect and we're allowed to have up to 12% of our recycle stream our single stream recycling can be contaminated meaning it's not what we would accept in the recycling stream anything greater than that and we're out of compliance with our contract and our vendor could refuse to accept our material a couple of years ago, you may re- we've had we've had this conversation, I believe, in the past. A couple of years ago, our um, contamination rate got to twenty six percent, and our vendor was ready to close the, the gate and say, "You're not, you can't bring that material in until you demonstrate you can get it back down." So that's where we were on a very aggressive uh, public outreach campaign and working with the communities and and, and our recycling folks to spread the message that you, you just can't put the, the plastic bags and, and especially like those shopping bags, the grocery bags, um, right. anything plastic, tarps, hoses, you know, things that people would maybe sometimes I think the, the idea was, well, if you don't really know, put it in recycling. Well, we can't do that anymore because the, the markets have just gotten so strict and the, the manufacturing now is so much more refined and uh, you know, that it, it can't accept those imperfect materials. So we were on that campaign and, and it got to the point where we were leaving bins behind because they'd have too much obvious uh, contamination. We were able to get that percentage down from 26% down to 12. So we're right where we need to be. We're in compliance. So we're not at risk of losing our contract for recycling. We were having to pay for that, that differential. 14% was trash that we had to pay our recycling vendor to handle. So not only were we risking not having a contract anymore, we were having to pay to dispose of that trash from their facility. 
So um, all these things, so it, it adds up and hats off to the public because over the last two years, our residents have done a great job in cleaning up the contamination. We're back into compliance. We're not leaving as many bins behind. Um, the word is out there. And, you know, and the other one is, you know, we're getting into the season now with uh, yard waste, so leaves. And we did go away from the plastic bags for leaves because the industry, the the receivers of that material were no longer accepting plastic bags because they kind of foul up the composting process. Sure. So we've gone to paper and that was a, a difficult transition because everyone was so used to the plastic bags. They were, you know, so highly, uh, you know, adopted throughout and, but we have transitioned. And I think, you know, you can go to any of the, the local hardware stores, the box stores, and they're just brimming with those paper bags and, and they've gotten, I, you know, I've got two sitting on my curb right now. Right. And so, and, and when I go to the landfill and I look at the, the compost, uh, you know, the, the end product, it is so, well, you see it when it's at, at the beginning in the raw form and you see nothing but you know, yard waste and leaves and branches and bags, these paper bags, it looks like a big mess. And then when it goes through the process of composting and through these windrows and at the end of that process, it's like pure soil. I mean, it's just a, a, a beautiful product. And, and I can remember seeing it when we were still accepting plastic bags. And you'd see, you'd, you'd pick up a handful of that, that composted material and it would have shreds of plastic in it. And it was, you know, not as obviously suitable for, you know, soil blending and soil amendments and things like sure. that. So we've, we've come a long way that way. And that actually has increase the value of that material by not having those plastic shards in the bag. So again, yeah, I, I'd imagine it's hats off to the public. They, they've really helped us in that transition to paper yard waste bags. And um, it's been real successful. Well, I know in composting, Annapolis City is doing a, a, a test pilot program, I guess, on composting. And it's more household, you know, kitchen stuff for composting. And they're doing it in one neighborhood and also at the uh, Truxton Park where people can from all over the city can bring it. But they're looking to do a, you know, I'll say a curbside composting type pickup thing. Is that something that the county might ever consider? Well, I think it's, I think everything's up to up for consideration because the state has been pushing this. You know, how can we do better as a society um, composting our food scraps? And it's really from the standpoint of diverting it away from the landfills because landfills, you know, I. I was just listening to an EPA talk, and and they estimate that I think it's like 26% of landfill volume is food scraps. So to the extent you can divert that away through composting, now you've just reclaimed 26% of your landfill capacity. So it's real important, and the state's pushing that. And, And in fact, out at the Jessup food processing facility. I don't know if you're familiar with like uh, Route 175 and Route 1, that corridor. Yeah. It's a major it's a major food processing facility. So you've got Dole and these big um, food processors who bring the raw product in and they actually process the, the you know carrots, they'll cut the carrot head off, the cabbage, they cut that off, the the spare parts that nobody wants and they bag it or can it. They do it right there. So they have all this excess food scrap. That was otherwise going to landfills. Well, the the state sponsored a um, P3, I I guess you'd call it, uh, public-private partnership where they donated some land, the state, and 
uh, Bioenergy Devco, a company out of um, Europe, has come in and they're building these two uh, anaerobic digesters, massive digesters that will process ultimately like 120,000 tons of food scraps a year. But they've placed it there because that's where the source of the, their feedstock is. They've got so much of this food scrap right there and what we call pre-consumer. So it's it's in a raw form. It's not mixed with plastic forks and knives and plastic ketchup containers and things. It's all raw, just food. So we're tracking that because we think that's a great option. I think the next tier of, you know, because they're not going to have enough food stock right there. I think they're maybe that would represent 70% of what they need. So they're still going to look for um, providers would be the big commercial outlets, institutions, say the airport, you know, you got a rumble mills, casino, um, sure. places like that. But that then becomes what we call post-consumer. So the challenge there is you've got the plastic knives and the ketchup tubes and things like that, that you have to strain out of that stream. And then you can, and, and they, they did describe it like, it's, it's like you could take that material, put it through what is otherwise like an industrial garlic press and out the other end is the food. And they could take that into these anaerobic digesters. And then the third sort of, the third frontier would be the household. And, and this is in my mind, you know, that's where it's going to be the most difficult because, you know, you're dealing with a lot of the, what each individual uh, homeowner is putting into that food uh, scrap container. And then the collection, how we get out there and collect it, you know, because we're seeing, uh, in fact, the because um, we are tracking this. I'm, I'm very interested what you know how Annapolis does. Montgomery County starting a pilot soon. Um, Howard County's been doing a pilot. A lot of these are in small sections of their communities doing pilots. But what we are seeing is that the cost of collecting that additional, so it'd be like a fourth collection because we already do trash, we do recycling, and we do yard waste. Right. So it'd be a fourth delivery, a fourth visit to your curb to pick that up. What we're seeing is that um, now these are pilots, so they're not at, you know, you're not getting economies of scale, but that the cost of that fourth collection is equivalent, if not more, than the three that we're currently doing. Uh-huh. So, for instance, uh, the, there's a vendor who, who will do, like, Annapolis, Crofton, certain areas you can sign up. And they'll come to your house and they'll pick up your, um, you know, I guess it's like in a five-gallon bucket on a on a prescribed day, and it's thirty bucks a month. So you know, you run the math. That's three hundred sixty dollars a year. You know, our curbside collection of the three trash recycling, yard waste, full use of our landfill, full use of our three recycling centers is three hundred forty-two dollars. So you're actually paying more for that fourth collection than you know, everything, everything we provide. So I think the industry has to figure out how do we make it more economical in the collection aspect? I think we're, the science is there for how to process it, how to, you know, the composting uh, technologies all there. It's just the delivery and pickup that that's going to be the challenge from a cost standpoint. Now we've that got, that makes so sense. We're, we're, and we're doing what, um, what they're doing at Truxton. So our, our three recycling centers, Dover road at Millersville and down in Sudley, um, South County, we have containers where you can bring your food scraps and drop it off, dump it into a big container. And we, you know, once it gets reaches to a point, we then haul it to Western branch in upper Marlboro because they've got a, you have to have a tier two facility. Um, for composting. 
So our landfill right now, we couldn't do, we can compost leaves, but we can't compost food scraps. It has to be a much more tightly controlled environment with runoff, leachate, and odors um, because it, it is more difficult to compost food scraps than it is just, uh, you know, yard waste. Interesting. And I'll tell you what, yeah, you put a $360 uh, tax increase and you watch 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 everybody <laughs> lose their mind on that. that right. Too, well, so. I, and like I say, I mean, a lot of that I think is driven by the, just the economies of scale. You know, it hasn't scaled up. So I think if, you know, if it did scale up, it wouldn't be that expensive, but it, but it is an expense. None of this comes for nothing. True. Hey, I'll tell you before, we, as, as we start to wrap up, this may not be your, your, in your area, but I was talking to a friend that's actually not on county water or sewer and they mentioned, and I wasn't sure what the term meant. And I just sort of nodded and pretended like I knew what she was talking about, but it was talking about septic tank pollution. Is that, do you know what that's all about? It's, it's not so much the septic tank, it's the drain field. So if you're on a septic system and you flush or you know, what goes down your drains goes to your septic tank, and the tank is a settling mechanism. So the solids will settle to the bottom, and then the water will, will go over the top and then into what we call a drain field. And then that percolates into the, so the water, the gray water, but is full of nitrogen and phosphorus, will then go into um, the groundwater, eventually on its way to surface water. And the surface water goes to the bay. So there's what we call transmission ratio of, of this nitrogen that's coming through that gray water that will find its way to the bay. And, and the way I've often referred to it is that, you know, septic systems, it's a it's a 24/7 365 operation and if you do the run the math a septic system in the critical area will deliver an equivalent amount of nitrogen as a 56,000 gallon sanitary sewer overflow if you just run the math in terms of pounds of nitrogen in the critical area we have some 13,000 septic systems so you know 13,000 times 56 thousand that is a lot you know and and Anne Arundel County we we do have overflows um they're the last thing I want to see but because our systems are mechanical they're they're um they will fail from time to time and we had roughly 250,000 gallons of overflows this year so that's equivalent to about five septic systems in the critical area so of a perfectly performing septic system nothing wrong with it it's doing its job it's just that it doesn't treat the nitrogen that's coming out of it that gets into the groundwater that gets into the bay. So five septic systems is worth the amount of all of the overflows that we had in the county this past year. You know, and, and we've got 40,000 septic systems total in the county, just a subset of that that are in the critical area. So, But even if you're not in the critical area, a certain amount of that nitrogen is still going to find its way into the surface water and into the bay. So we've got a plan. We've we've been working. In fact, there was legislation last year to find ways to make it more affordable, extending the financing terms, providing more subsidies. And uh, we've been on a education and outreach program. We've we've met with probably close to 20 communities now, basically informing them of septic system communities that what the program provides and just go through it. And if they're interested, we will work with them to take it to the next step to if they're interested in bringing county public sewer 
into their community. If not, then we move on. It's not mandatory. It's a community decision if they want to proceed with it or not. But it is one of our five. We've got a five-point strategy for the Anne Arundel County's portion of the Chesapeake Bay cleanup, and that's one of them is uh, septic system to sewer conversions. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but, you know, this has been very interesting. I mean, I guess the takeaway out of here is to... When the snow plows are out and it's snowing, which you hope it doesn't do, I hope it does, okay, so we've got a difference of opinion, but stay off the roads and get out of the way of the plows and let them do their work. Don't put your drippings in the drain. Put them into a can or a bottle. Let them solidify and toss them in the trash. Keep the wipes out of the toilet. Be mindful of your recycling. And all that's going to lead into having a good holiday, I guess, right? For us at Public Works, yes. <laughs> um, all those things. Yeah, we, we don't live exciting lives here, but that would go a long way in, um, it, you know, everyone having a better opportunity to enjoy the holidays. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I was talking to I was talking to my one of my colleagues, the, the city of Laurel Public Works director, and we were. We were just sharing, you know, some things. We we're looking to share some stream restoration and watershed projects because we border, you know, one another. And um, he came from the fire department. He's kind of new as the public works director there. And he says, you know, Chris, I really, I've always had a different perspective on public works. And I said, yeah, I often see it as like the, the pre-first responders. Because if, as you started this conversation, if the roads aren't cleared of snow and they're not underwater and the bridges are still intact, and there's water in the fire hydrants and the pipes. If none of that is occurring, the first responders can't do their job. So Public Works is kind of that pre-first responder. It's all got to be there, ready to um, support. And and those are the things that we just do every day and some and oftentimes just don't even think about it. It's just that's our job. That's what we sign up for. But to the extent we can make it a little easier on ourselves with uh, all the things you described, the, you know, controlling the fat soils and grease and what goes in the recycling stream and um, wipes down the pipes, uh, avoiding all that does make it for a much nicer holiday for us, for sure. Absolutely. Well, you can find all sorts of information at aacounty.org. Surf on over to the Public Works page, and uh, there's plenty of information for everybody on any number of different things. Uh, if you see problems and potholes and you've got ways to report that, uh, they unfortunately handle that as well. And just really before we go, we're going into Thanksgiving here. What's on your table personally, Chris? Is it a turkey? Is it ham? Is it a roast? You know, believe it or not, maybe maybe it's the the seafood side of me, but oftentimes we'll make a almond crusted flour salmon. How's that sound? I don't like seafood, so that sounds horrible to me. So don't invite me. Don't 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 invite me for Thanksgiving this year. I'll be. <laughs> uh, no, that that sounds it sounds very good. Uh, if I, if I like seafood, I know my girlfriend would be like, "Oh, let's go there." Um, but well, I'll tell you, I wish you and everybody that works for public works, a great and uneventful Thanksgiving and hopefully an uneventful winter as we get into it. Although I would like to see us get dumped on snow at least once this year, but that's my own thing. We'll see what we can do. (laughs) There there you go. Yeah. I'm probably probably making my own bed here and they're going to be dumping the snow in front of me (laughs) a little bit burn my house. But Chris Phipps, the director of public works for Anne Arundel County. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Enjoy the long weekend coming up ahead. Hopefully fingers crossed it's long weekend for you. And as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, John. This has been a bonus podcast from Ion Annapolis. Please visit us at ionanapolis.net. Follow us on Facebook at All Annapolis and on Twitter at Ion Annapolis. 
And if you haven't subscribed to the Daily News Brief podcast, go for it. And all of your local news will be delivered to your phone, tablet, or smart device by 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday.